Hey y'all, and welcome back to the Brown Girl White Coat Podcast. My name is Sai, like a sigh of relief, and wow, it's good to be back, and it's really good to be making this episode right now. So my last episode, if you hadn't, if you haven't heard it yet, it is the step one my tips and tricks sort of podcast. So make sure you listen to that one and obviously all of the other amazing podcasts put up by the other co-hosts. But for right now, it's great to be back and I have a very exciting episode in store for you guys. So before we get into kind of what this is going to be about, just want to remind y'all that if you like the podcast, if you vibe with us, if you like listening to all of the co-hosts, if you like weekly episodes, yeah, we've been doing weekly episodes lately. And we come at you with a new one every Sunday. If you like all of that, make sure you go to the Apple Podcasts page for our podcast and hit that five stars and hit that review button because we love to hear and see these reviews and it makes us go up in the charts, something like that. And I just know it helps. It definitely helps when we're looking at brands to partner with, to bring you ads for this podcast, etc., etc. So make sure you do that. Make sure you hit that follow button on Spotify. Really helps us out as well. So let's talk about what we are going to talk about today. I wanted to make this episode, so I've been toying with the idea of what to call it, and I think I'm going to call it Brown Girl Talk. So this episode specifically is going to be kind of a big sister type talk, just like that step one podcast was, but this one's going to be a little bit more about confidence, dating, and finding yourself. So questions I get on my Instagram. Oh yeah, if you haven't followed that, it's at Life of Sai now S-A-I-E. And the questions I get over there are mostly about these kinds of things. They're about confidence. They're about dating. They're about just finding yourself in this crazy field of medicine, finding yourself as a woman in STEM and finding your own self-confidence and self-love. And frankly, these are the episodes of podcasts that I like to listen to. So I'm really happy to be sitting down kind of talking about what it took to get from me in you know, high school and undergrad to me as a, what I would consider a very relatively confident and accomplished woman in medicine and in medical school and about to be a physician, you know, MD upcoming in 2022. So very exciting stuff. And let's just do a quick life update and get into what is going to be this episode. So I'm starting my EM rotation on Monday. I don't know how this happened. I don't know how this year just went by so fast already. It's almost the end of April. It's incredible and kind of scary. But I'm starting my first EM rotation. I'm so excited and so nervous to just, you know, finally be a student in the field that I want to finally do with my life. So very exciting stuff. I get to, get to learn a lot from all of the attendings and residents. I get to see a lot. I think it'll be really fun and I will make sure to keep you guys updated over on my Instagram every step of the way. So, and obviously my DMs are always open if you have any specialty specific questions or just medicine specific questions. I am so happy to answer those for y'all. So that's kind of what's coming up. I just finished up an anesthesia rotation. I made a post about it on my Instagram if you want to check it out. I absolutely loved anesthesia and I recommend that anybody who you know, thinks they might be interested in the field, even remotely, 
does a rotation. And even if you're interested in other fields like surgery or for me, EM, I think it's a very useful field. I got to learn how to intubate, which is basically putting a breathing tube down someone's trachea and inflating their lungs for them because when we put them off to sleep for surgery, they can't control their own airway. And we need to take all these steps to kind of manage their airway and make sure uh, they're breathing through the whole surgery. So I got to put a breathing tube down people's throats and it was so exciting and exhilarating because this is the kind of stuff that I just love to do. So definitely think about scheduling one and anesthesia has a great lifestyle, guys. So a part of me definitely wishes I was exposed to this field earlier on in the in this whole med school journey because the attendings get there around 7 and they're home by 3, 3.30 every day and they take about one to two call days a month, which is where you kind of have to work a little bit longer hours. Um, and sometimes those tend to be on a weekend. So great lifestyle. Also, just quickly, they prioritize wellness so much. I would get into a case with my resident and attending. We would be in there for about 30 minutes. We would set everything up. Uh, surgeons would start and we would be able to leave to take a break you know take a you know 15 20 minute break grab coffee grab a snack go back in if it's a really long surgery you would get paged out again go take a break the wellness aspect of anesthesia was something i just i loved i don't know why more specialties don't have that type of wellness just built into the specialty so if you are interested, definitely check that out. It's also one of the road specialties. So there's a saying in medicine, you know, the road to happiness. It's radiology, optho, anesthesiology, and dermatology, the ones that tend to make the highest level of income as well as have the best hours. So I don't know how true that is. Definitely do a little Medscape search or whatever if you are curious about that. But definitely prioritize wellness and they prioritize uh, salary too. They have a, a great salary, starting salary. So definitely a field that I think more med students should know about before coming in. Okay, guys, let's just get into what this is going to be about. So I wanted to talk a little bit about confidence and dating and finding yourself. Because listen, I think of y'all as either my friends or little sisters because so many of you are in high school and in undergrad right now and message me about your dating troubles or your confidence troubles and I think it's just fun to talk about this and empower each other. So I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about, let's talk about dating first, okay? So I'm currently dating somebody, you guys all know him probably from my Instagram and we also did an episode together. So he's a PhD, he's a doctor. We're having a good time. We are, we've been dating for three and a half years now, and that is the longest relationship I have ever been in and the most fulfilling relationship I have ever been in. So let's just leave that out of the equation for now and talk about kind of lessons that I've learned from my worst dating experiences. I think this is pretty funny to open up about, and I think a lot of you can probably relate. So in undergrad, I don't know if you guys can tell this from my Instagram, but I'm, I was a very sheltered kid, okay? I was very sheltered in high school. I didn't get out very much. I did not drink alcohol. I did not do any type of drugs. That's just who I was. And my parents were a little bit strict. I mean, as all brown parents are. And I went a little crazy. I went a little crazy in undergrad. And it was just this newfound freedom. And the fact that 
you didn't have to answer to anybody and that you could just, you know, you could go out to a bar and you could go to McDonald's afterward and not be home until like five in the morning. That was fine. (laughs) So along the way, I learned a lot of things. I learned a lot of lessons and I dated very many just trash human beings. And I'm ready to finally give you guys the the tell-all about that. So one of the lessons that I learned is never let anybody put you in a box. So I'll give the the quick rundown of a, a very awful dating story. And I think all women should hear this. So I was dating this guy back in Ooh, I think it was my the end of my sophomore year of college, and he was a little bit older. I think I was like 19 or 20, and he was 25, I want to say. And we dated when I was back home, and it was a it was a fun summer. It was like a nice little summer fling, and I was getting ready to go back to Texas, and we had this conversation of, you know, we are we going to still date and or are we going to you know end it here and just cut our losses while we can and this conversation led into us kind of picturing our like lives together and this this man I kid you not I will never forget these words um he says well you know we're so similar uh we're both you know from a similar culture what are you going to make me when I get home from work darling (laughs) are you going to make me dull And I was like, well, one, I don't know how to cook. Okay, so I feel like you should have picked this up in the few months that we were dating. But I say this because it opened up a total can of worms about how I'll just tell you what what he said after that, because I think it's hilarious now. He basically asked me to quit medical school. Um, He was like, we should get married. Uh, It's been, you know, three months of dating. We should get married and you should, you know, finish med school, but then I don't want you to practice after, after you're done. Um, I'll make all the money. And he goes, I I don't know a single brown woman in my life who works. And that was the moment that I realized that, uh, you have to be skeptical. You have to have, you know, your, your alarm for red flags needs to go off at some point. Um, And I think that that alarm should go off when men or women or whoever you're dating says anything negative about women, right? You're walking down a street and this person says something uncalled for about someone walking towards you, whether it's, you know, wow, she does not look good at all or wow, you would look so much better in that outfit. Just these like backhanded compliments. Look out for that. That's a terrible red flag and and something you should look out for and should stand out to you as someone that you don't want to date. And then other things, uh, trying to put you in a box, trying to say, you know, you should do this or you shouldn't do that or you should wear this or you shouldn't wear that. I think those are all red flags and those are the signs of someone who wants to control you. And I think that that's one of the most important pieces of advice I could give to someone who's kind of around my age or younger. I am... 24, going to be 25 soon, and never make yourself smaller, especially for a man. (laughs) Like, they do not deserve it. Never make yourself smaller. Don't make yourself fit in a box. And when someone shows you who they are, believe them. And that's exactly what I did. On that day, when this person revealed who they were to me, I ended things pretty much right away. I remember we were in a parking lot of some sort and I was driving which was you know ironic for the situation I was driving us around and 
And then he tries to save the conversation, right? It's going downhill completely. I'm like astounded that people still think this way in the 21st century. And he goes, well, darling, I don't know why that's uh, the, the voice I use for him, but he says, you know, I would, I would want you to take my last name after we get married. Like, are you okay with that? Do you want to do that? And I just, I looked right at him and I said, why would I put an MD after a man's last name? who couldn't get into medical school. And then he uh, slammed my car door, which was, it was like a 92 Nissan Sentra, I think, or Maxima. (laughs) And uh, it didn't close all the way. My car was completely dilapidated at that point. And that was the last time I ever saw him. So there's one of my awful, awful dating stories. And I think whenever people ask about my previous dating life, especially on Instagram, a lot of you guys like to just DM me and and know more about that sort of thing. I tell this story because I think it's really important for young women, especially career aspiring, ambitious women to know that there's always going to be people that try to put you in a box. And sometimes it's going to be people that you've grown to trust, or sometimes it's going to be people that you're in a relationship with and that you thought it was going somewhere. And it is absolutely not. (laughs) So, and I was probably only 19 at the time. So this was like five, almost five, six years ago. And I was so naive back then. And I think that I would have picked up on the signs and the red flags much sooner if someone had told me to look out for them. So I learned from that experience. And pretty much after that, every single date I went on, and I went on a lot of dates in college, I thought dating was fun. And I was I was always down to, you know, get food or go bowling or whatever there was to do in Waco, Texas. After that, I initially would ask anyone I was on a date with, are you a feminist? And I found that that was a really good way to kind of rule out all of the jerks and all of the people who didn't have the same core values as me. And there's two things that can happen when you ask that question. Um, They say, actually, I guess three. They say yes. At which point you're like, okay, this date can proceed. Um, They say no, at which point you're like, okay, you're either a misogynist or you don't know what the word means. And then they say, well, it depends. And then again, maybe you don't know what the word means. So, you know, you guys out there, you are beautiful. I already know you are. Some of y'all DM me. You guys like our our, uh, posts on the Brown Girl White Coat Pod podcast uh, Instagram. I see y'all. I know you're gorgeous. And so you don't have any time. You guys are not only gorgeous. You are career-driven women. You are ambitious. You are strong and awesome. And you don't deserve to be treated any sort of way. And you deserve the best. So keep saying no to the people that just don't fit your standards. That's something I definitely learned in college. Okay, the next one, I have another bad dating story, and then we're going to talk a little bit about confidence as a woman in STEM. So bad dating story, rewind to, I think this was late junior year, I believe, late junior year of college. This was kind of before I met my now current boyfriend, and so I, I had seen this guy around. I had been like studying in the lobby of my apartment complex and he had like I guess seen me studying there I would study there all the time and he'd seen me he struck up a conversation with me and then shortly after I think we had matched on a dating app and we decided to go out he was 
pretty much everyone I met at Baylor was pre-med. So it was, you know, we had a lot to talk about. We had a lot in common, whatever. So we went out, quickly realized that that was not going to (laughs) happen. It was just not for me. There was nothing going on there. And we were like, okay, well, you know, we get along as friends. So we'll just like hang out and stay friends, whatever. So then fast forward to maybe a few months later, we were studying at a library on campus and he had a car and I think I also did, but he had driven us there and something happened that I won't mention, but uh, this guy got mad, kind of like enraged uh, for no reason at me. And he was like, okay, I want to leave the library. Like, I'm so angry, blah, 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 blah. I need to leave. And he was like, I'll drive you home. And I was like, okay, fine, sure. Okay, drive me home. And we lived maybe like two miles away from the library or probably even less. So he was driving me home. It was silent because he was angry at at something he thought I said. And he was driving me home and he goes in a 25 uh, speed limit area. He goes, I kid you not, probably up to 80 miles an hour. And at that point, I'm like fearing for my life. I am screaming. I'm saying, let me out of this car right now. Just let me out, please. I can walk from here. And he he locks his car door multiple times. He doesn't let me out. And then we get back to my house. He, well, first of all, while we're driving through the small little neighborhood of Baylor's campus at 80 miles an hour, I text all my friends. I say, hey, I'm with this this person right now and we're going really fast in the car i'm scared for my life if something happens to me i'm with this person i was like genuinely fearing for my life and he takes me home i don't say a word and i just leave and you know he texts and calls and whatever to apologize but i never spoke to that man again like you the the lesson of the story is you have absolutely no time life is too short to spend it with scary violent men that whole encounter was terrifying never talk to that man again so if people don't fit your standards if people don't treat you well even in a friendship let that man go like that is just not worth your time you are way too pretty you are way too smart for all of that shit, okay so i hope that makes sense i hope that that is even a little bit entertaining to you guys men in college boys in college rather oof they have a lot of work to do on themselves they are like tiny little sprouts that have not become full-fledged partners for anybody. It's it's kind of scary. And I think at the first sign of violence or uh, anger management troubles, just jump ship. Like even if it's a friendship, jump ship because that is not worth your time. It's not worth your safety. Never spoke to that man again. And I am so happy about that. <laughs> okay, guys, that's enough of my dating life. But I think that... Both of those stories have some super important lessons in them. And I think that just hearing that we all have these experiences and that I don't want to say men are trash, but men might be trash. Uh, And just look out and protect yourself, protect your own heart and your own feelings and your own lives, because that's the only thing you got at the end of the day. So let's go on to my career in STEM and kind of finding confidence. So I was a meek little MS1. That's just for some context. I never took the MCAT. I was in a program that basically guaranteed me admission into Baylor College of Medicine. And I had 
some self-confidence issues by the end of college. I had not really taken as many science classes and I felt a little bit inadequate, I would say, compared to my peers. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to try way harder than everybody else just to get the same grades, just to be average in med school. And boy, was I right. So moving on to kind of like clinical rotations, that sort of ideology stuck with me, unfortunately. And I think that on clinical rotations, you are you succeed if you're an extrovert. And while I would consider myself an extrovert, I definitely did not show it at the beginning of clinical rotations, whether it was you know, presenting on rounds or whether it was asking questions or showing understanding. I don't think I really figured out the lay of the land until a few months ago, honestly, until mm, probably like November, December when I was on my OB rotation. So here's just that's all to say that it takes a lot of learning to find your confidence, to find your, your ground, I think, in med school. And I don't think enough people talk about it. And I think it's a uniquely female slash minority slash non-binary slash anyone on the LGBTQ alphabet mafia. <laughs> um, I think that we all have some self-confidence issues when it comes to, you know, being in medicine. It's still a male-dominated field. I want to go into EM, which I think is like 24, 26% female right now. And I, I want to change that. It's even worse for surgery. I believe orthopedic surgery, there's only like 5% uh, is is female of that field. So, of course, we're going to have these kinds of self-confidence issues. It's only normal. But let me just tell you what I faced and how I dealt with it. (laughs) So you can laugh along with me and maybe be a little bit mad and find your own way through my mistakes. So I'll give you one example. This was in... So I want to say second year, the beginning of second year, we had, or maybe the end of first year of med school, we had an anatomy course and I wasn't the best at anatomy, but it wasn't like my worst subject by any means. But I remember we were having like a hands-on practice session where they had all of the cadavers laid out, labeled, and it was like a practice anatomy test. So you could basically talk to anybody during it. You could take it by yourself, just put in headphones. And I chose to take the test with whoever was around me at the time. It was just like friends and classmates. So we were just going around and talking about why we knew it was a certain anatomic landmark, uh, what was pinned, why we knew it was what it was. And I remember saying this is, you know, fibrinous pericardium or something like that. I was pretty sure of my answer. And I said it quietly at first. I was like, this is pericardium that is what is labeled and I was surrounded by I think like three or four men boys whatever students and nobody heard me and then one of my friends (laughs) stepped in she probably doesn't even remember this but she stepped in and she was like guys I think Sai like knows the answer and I was like it's blah 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 pericardium and I said it a little bit louder everybody heard me at the time and people looked at me and just continued to look at the pinned thing on the heart and completely ignored what I was saying. And then someone else kind of steps up to the cadaver and says, oh, this is fibrinous pericardium. And everyone goes, oh, okay. And everyone writes down fibrinous pericardium and just moves on. And that was the moment that I was like, oof, I am going to have to, one, speak very loudly and confidently. I have to fake it till I make it, honestly, because I don't feel that way right now. I don't feel confident. I'm a freaking first year in med school. I feel like everything I'm doing is 
completely wrong and not the way it should be. So I need to fake it. Two, I'm going to have to repeat myself a lot in med school. And I'm going to have to do it with confidence as well. And three, sometimes that's just not going to work. And you're going to have to learn phrases like, as I was saying, or like I said just a few minutes ago, or in reference to my example I provided, things like that. So these are all things that I've had to learn after going through this process. And it has honestly been a little bit helpful on rounds. So anything you say, say it loudly, say it confidently, have the confidence of a mediocre white man, just have it. You need to adopt that into your life to be successful, I believe. And whether you're wrong or you're right, it's important that people hear you speaking, especially in clinical rotations. The people who don't say anything get forgotten. And even if you're wrong, but you're loud, you will be remembered and you'll be remembered as somebody who at the very least participated. So I think that's incredibly important is to be loud. And if, you, if you're going to be wrong, be wrong. Uh, just learn, learn from your mistake or learn from whatever you got wrong, read up a little bit and move on. And it's fine to be wrong in med school. You're just a student. It's fine. And then one other tip, something that I noticed that my male counterparts were doing that I was not doing is when asked a question, well, I'll give you two examples. So when someone asks you a question on rounds, say they say, hmm, why does this person, why is this person anemic? You know, we just gave him a lot of fluid. Why is he anemic right now? Like, what's the mechanism behind that? Um, and even if you're processing the question, just say something while you're processing. You don't necessarily have to, you know, be quiet and be in your own thoughts through that processing portion. You can say, well, okay, just repeat the question, right? They said, why is he anemic? You can say, well, our patient is anemic, most likely, you know, we just gave him fluid, so this could be, and then give yourself time to think. Honestly, I don't know why that works, but it makes people perceive you as, okay, she's thinking. They don't have to read your mind. They know exactly what's going on. You can say, you can even just go through your thinking process out loud. You can say, okay, well, this could be, even if you're wrong, if you're like, mm, this could be iron deficiency anemia uh, because, you know, he has, he's been in the ICU and maybe he got iron deficient. You could just say that and no one's going to discount you for it. What they will discount you for is not saying anything and not coming up with anything. It doesn't show that you're thinking, even if you are, um, even if you're thinking so hard that you're second guessing yourself, no one's going to know that you almost came up with the right answer. So, and then just for people who might be curious of what the actual answer was for that patient, um, it was a dilutional anemia because we just given him, given him a ton of fluids. So why would that cause anemia? We, you know, diluted his blood essentially, blah, blah, blah. Um, so just, you know, tell the person that is quote unquote pimping you, not a fan of that, that verbiage being used, but that's what they call it. Um, the person asking you questions, just be aware that they can't exactly read your mind and you can detail your thinking process out loud. I think it makes you look, it makes you look better than just being quiet and then not knowing the right answer. So, and it's a good uh, process for learning as well. They can tell you if you're on the right track or if you're just completely off base. Then another thing I noticed my male counterparts doing that I was not doing is almost asking leading questions. 
So, you know, when they're asking you, hey, do you have any questions? We're, we're doing a lot here and we've been through a lot this morning with these and these patients. You know, it's been kind of busy, but I'd love to answer any questions if you have anything that you're curious about. Always ask a question. Um, unless you truly cannot think of anything, just ask something. What I noticed my male counterparts doing was they would almost use that to show how much they know. Um, so if back to the anemia thing, say you had a question about, hey, like, why was this patient anemic? You can say something like, well, I know we just gave him a lot of fluids. Um, this could be a dilutional anemia, but I wanted to know, why is our patient anemic? And is this something we should be worried about? That's a, a good question. It shows that you're thinking. It shows the person that, that you're talking to that you already know a whole lot about the topic. And it's almost a way just to show that you know a lot about the topic already. So I don't know why that works. And I honestly think it's pretty beneficial to be that way in the clinical environment. It makes people perceive you as more knowledgeable and that you're at least present, right? If you say, hmm, I don't have any questions, then then you don't look so good compared to your counterparts. So I would just keep that in mind. Um, just be curious. If you if you honestly can't say anything or if you don't have any questions, just take some notes. <laughs> like I was on my anesthesia rotation and I, I didn't have a ton of questions because um, they were explaining what was going on as it was happening and I didn't have a lot to be curious about, honestly, after they explained it so thoroughly. Um, but I remember just saying, oh, that's such a great point that we did this instead of this for our patient because of his cardiac risk factors. I'm just going to write that down so I can read more about that. And I write it down. So I think that's a good move to, even if you have no questions, you can still kind of say, okay, I'm still here. I'm participating. I'm not just a meek medical student who's going to stand in the back and wait for the day to be over. I am taking a active role in my own learning. So there's a little tip for y'all. I don't know if that's helpful, but hopefully that'll help you just shine and blend in a little bit more on your clinical rotations and seem more confident. So aside from that, I had a few other worries just in general in the field of medicine. I was a little nervous for my surgery or any surgical rotations because I was a short, I am a short little person. I am like 5'2", five 5'3", five and sometimes I can't see all of the surgeons, especially the male ones were like six feet plus, and I wasn't able to get a great view of uh, the person, our patient, and, and learn or see what they were pointing to at times, and that happened probably just in my first surgical case ever. And then after that, I learned to say, hey, can I get a stool or can I get two stools? At one point, I was standing on two stools. And I think even just asking for that shows people that, hey, I want to learn. I want to be engaged in what you're showing me. It just, it's a good thing. So if you can't see something, make sure you move to, to see it properly or make sure you ask for the correct accommodations to see what you need to see. This is your education. You're in debt. You are paying out the nose for this and you deserve the best view and you being short or you having some type of any type of disability even shouldn't prevent you from getting an amazing education. So you should ask for the right accommodations to make your time easier for you. Okay, we are nearing the end of this episode and I wanted to make this quick and short for y'all. I wanted to talk about confidence both in your dating life and in your professional life. 
But I wanted to offer one last tip that might kind of help you guys out or just kind of frame things a better way. So I know a lot of you will be relieved to hear this because I'm sure I don't portray this on social media at all, but I am a super awkward person. At least I feel that way in clinical rotations. So my first couple of rotations, I was super awkward. I didn't know where to stand. I didn't know what to do with my hands. And my first surgical case, I was so terrified of, you know, being able to scrub in, being able to, you know, not break sterile field, et cetera, et cetera, that I ended up breaking sterile field. I was so afraid of this happening that I actually ended up doing it just in fear. So I'll tell you the story really quickly. So I was in my first surgical case ever. I think it was like a hepatectomy. I had studied all about the liver. I knew everything. I was ready to answer questions. And then the very first thing that happened, they asked me, I was all scrubbed in. I had my hands on the patient who was already draped. I was there. I was not doing anything I wasn't supposed to do. Then I was asked to move one of the lights uh, closer to the surgeon. And I didn't have um, one of those little purple things. Uh, there's like little, you know, gel purple things that go on the lights to allow people that are scrubbed in and sterile to move the lights around. And they asked me to move the light. And it didn't have one of those purple things, so it was not sterile, and I broke sterile field, like, within the first 10 minutes of the surgery. So what I will say about that is, although I broke sterile field and, you know, everybody groaned and they were like, oh, the med student broke sterile field and we have to accommodate her. And, you know, all they did was basically have me step aside. They took my gloves off and put new gloves on me. So that was it. But because of this very important thing called small talk, (laughs) I was not ridiculed in front of the entire team. So before the surgery, I walked in, I put my name up on the board, I introduced myself, I said, hey, I'm Sai, like a sigh of relief, and I'm the medical student. I, this is my first day on surgery, really nice to meet you, Miss Scrub Tech, Miss Scrub Nurse, whoever it was, um, and really great to meet you, team of residents and surgeon, and blah, blah, blah. So, and then, of course, I had already seen the patient. I had said, hey, Mr. So-and-so, like, I am going to be the medical student that's going to be in your surgery today. And because of all of that, and just setting up the stage for me being not a terrible person, everyone just laughed when I broke sterile field. And that could have been, like, a very embarrassing moment, but they just laughed And it kind of broke the tension. So I would highly, highly recommend, if you can, forming connections with your scrub nurses or scrub techs. That is the best thing for surgery and just with anyone around you. So if if people see you being a normal person, they see more to you than just being a medical student, they are more likely to sadly respect you. And I think that is a key step. And that's something I saw a lot of my male counterparts doing. They would form these like bro type relationships with all of the attendings and residents. And then I was just there like overthinking, you know, being an introvert, even though I don't feel like I am one and just not saying anything to anybody and just focusing on just learning and like the medicine aspect of everything. So definitely don't be that person. Be the person who makes small talk with everybody that asks, um, well, there's this one specific scrub nurse that was in that first surgery and she had an Ohio State 
Buckeyes scrub cap and I mentioned I was from Ohio I said go Buckeyes and she and I just formed this like awesome connection and I actually just saw her again on this past rotation and so it was great to just have that connection and then she just she would just laugh at me right if I didn't know how to do something properly it wasn't like oh my gosh you're so unprepared it was more so like oh my gosh like let me teach you how to do this so it was uh a learning experience, but I would highly recommend that you show that you are a real person, that you can conversate with anyone around you, that you're personable, that you're fun, whatever, and just relax. So I think those are the the keys to being confident or at least looking slash feeling like you are confident. And of course, the same goes for your dating life. I know that, you know, COVID has thrown a damper in a lot of things dating related, but never settle. You are worth so much more than what you give yourself credit for. Don't settle. Have high standards and high expectations for yourself in both your career and your dating and love life. You are a star. That's all I got to say to you. And I wanted to make this episode because self-confidence, self-love, shining in the clinical space, as well as dating, those things are all tied together. They all are tied together with the core theme of believing in yourself and having a good sense of self-worth. And I think that bleeds out into all aspects of your life. And as a woman in STEM, we're allowed to be more than just people who focus on work, right? We're allowed to focus on our personal lives as well. And I think that's really important to just talk about because I know this podcast is about interviewing leaders in medicine. We interview so many amazing, amazing women and men uh, of color on this podcast. And we we bring you people who are just succeeding and at the top of their field. But we don't talk about the, the softer things in life, like feeling anxious and feeling inadequate and how to get over those things. So I wanted to give you guys a little bit of a breakdown of, you know, how that how bad experiences, I guess, both in your dating life and in your professional life, especially for women of color and women in STEM, things like being talked over, repeating yourself, having low confidence, things like that, that can prevent you from getting both the partner that you want and it can prevent you from getting the career that you want. And these are things that are not mutually exclusive and we are multidimensional women who can care about both things. So If you guys would like to hear more of my terrible dating stories, I have so many of them. I am planning on doing an Instagram live at some point. So make sure you follow me on Instagram. It's at Life of Psy. And make sure you follow the podcast at Brown Girl White Coat Pod. I'm so excited. I wanted to warn you guys a little bit. Um, We might be taking a short, short break maybe for a month or two, just to kind of gear up for season three of the podcast. And I have all these crazy things coming up. I have away rotations. I have applications for residency. Where did the time go? So I just wanted to warn y'all that that might be happening in the near future. But don't you worry, we'll be back season three with brand new awesome episodes. And it'll be really fun. Okay, guys, that's the episode for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Make sure you check us out next Sunday for a brand new episode. And thanks so much for making this podcast a part of your day, wherever you are.